Podcasts. Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, you have tuned in. Very, very intelligent thing to do. Tuned in to America's Home for Conservative, Not Bitter, Talk and Education. I am your professor, Dr. Todd Huff. Not really doctor, but seems appropriate to call us that. Honorary doctorate, how about that? Email Todd at ToddHuffShow.com. Join our conservative online, or excuse me, conservative, not bitter online community. Simply go to community.toddhuffshow.com. Network with other conservative, not bitter individuals. Find some things that you won't find elsewhere that we're going to continue to build that particular part uh, of our community. It's one of the next most important things on the list, so you can join there as well. As I promised you yesterday, we are going to be taking a multiple-day run into the issue of abortion. And this, of course, is um, in the wake of the decision Friday in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, where the Supreme Court ruled 6-3 to three, um, in favor of Dobbs, and, of course, in so doing, additionally overturned, overruled two previous Supreme Court cases, Roe versus Wade, which was decided in 1973, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which was decided in 1992. We went through this yesterday. I went through, folks, I went through the, um, I went through the, Rationale. I went through really how we got to Roe versus Wade. We talked about the 14th Amendment. We talked about the right to privacy. We talked about, and I listen, I haven't even discussed in detail why people should be pro life. I have on this program why I am pro life and why I think others should be pro life as well. I haven't done that. I didn't do that yesterday. I've done it on this program. I don't apologize for it, um, but I I do I, I will get to that. Yesterday's show, in fact, it was very brilliantly done, if I may say so, <laughs> say so myself. You can listen to it because I believe, and this is not I I know, and and candidly, my friends, whichever side was would have been on the losing side of this would have uh, this would be. A difficult thing to accept, but I think regardless of your opinion on abortion, I really, really mean this. I just think, man, let's try to take a, a just relax. And I know that there's emotions here. I know that there's emotions. I understand that. But if we just take a deep breath for a moment. And we think about what the court did when they decided 
Roe versus Wade, it was not what the Supreme Court is supposed to do. And I know I've heard people on interviews or whatever say, I don't care. People have said, this isn't me. This is not me saying this. I'm quoting somebody else. But people have said that they do not care what the Constitution of the United States says. And that, look, again, I understand the emotion. I understand the desire to say whatever gets my belief on abortion to be the law of the land or whatever, I'm cool with that. There's, But I'm not cool with that. I'm not. In fact, the Supreme Court didn't rule against abortion really at all. All the Supreme Court said effectively was that the Supreme Court in a previous case, actually two previous cases, made a series of, well, a couple of erroneous judgments. And they stepped outside the bounds of the role of the judiciary. They created law from the bench. This is the job of the legislature. And I pointed out yesterday, very brilliantly, I might add, that if we, remember the the same people who are telling us that a threat to our democracy is being waged, unleashed by people who are voting Republican or who are conservative or whatever, Trump supporters. These are the same people saying that those individuals are a threat to democracy are the same people who are completely fine with nine unelected white men in 1973 deciding what women can and cannot do with their bodies. I'm just using the rhetoric of the day. And I think that that is a big, big problem for several reasons, but the most obvious one is that that's not the way our system is designed to work. Again, nine old white men in black robes in the 1970s, 1973 to be precise, making a decision on this issue with literally nothing, nothing there to justify it. I mean, folks, they they used the 14th Amendment to do some, uh, in my estimation, absolute judo, I, but not in a good way. It was like a, a white belt the first time on the map, but there was so much activity and they had the votes. And again, as I've said before, the mind will justify what the heart desires and they desired that outcome. And so they put some crazy cockamamie idea together and they said, this is the decision. There's no one that can stop us. Seven to two. That's what happened. I went through that yesterday. I'm not going to go through that again today. But if you want to hear why the case itself, and I I ask you to put your personal opinions of abortion aside just for a moment and listen to that, and I really believe if you are fair-minded and if you can step aside from that, and I understand, I'm not asking you to change your opinion on abortion. You can be pro-choice. Listen to yesterday's show. In fact, I invite you to. I plead with you to and say, you know what? It is the right decision. I, you can still think it's a right um, that people that people have, but it should be addressed by Congress. It should be addressed by Congress or, meaning the U.S. Congress or the states. Congress has never done this. And if you're out there bemoaning that America's democracy is under attack, then you shouldn't be arguing for six people in black robes, who, by the way, is more female today than it was in 1973. Um, 
you can't be saying that America's democracy is under attack by Republicans while then saying nine people in black robes who are unelected and unaccountable to the voters by design, by the way. That's not, that's not why they're there. They're not there to be politicians. They're not there to be legislators. They're there to be Supreme Court jurists. They're there to interpret the law and the Constitution and apply it as best they can to specific cases that come up. Roe absolutely did not do that. No matter what it decided, the methodology, the thinking, the precedent that was established by Roe, take, take that it was about abortion out of the equation, the way they handled the entire situation, completely a disastrous way of approaching it outside the realm and the scope of the U.S. Constitution or of the Supreme Court via the U.S. Constitution. So that's what we talked about yesterday. What I want to do today is pick up kind of the beginning of where things began to, I guess, intensify as, as it pertained to the U.S. Supreme Court in 2016. Now, in one sense, the Supreme Court has always been hotly contested. And we could go back to the nomination of Robert Bork. We could look back to the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, which was just a few years ago. Um, and we can see examples, right? We can see examples of of where things have been intense before the nomination of Clarence Thomas. Notice that these were all Republican nominees where things got really out of control by the U.S. Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee. But specifically, specifically something happened in 2016 that really, really upset Democrats, and in particular, the radical left. And what happened? Early in that year, 2016 is an election year, right? This was when Trump, who was supposed to be smoked by Hillary Clinton, this needs to be established at this particular point in time as well. Trump was laughed at. You, you can go back, you Google. If, well, unless Google scrubbed it from existence, which sometimes they <laughs> they do this with things that I've tried to cite on this program um, I've cited them once, and then it's it's vanished from existence. That's why we one of the reasons why I started the stack of stuff. So I put links there, so I can go back over time and say, hey, remember when we talked about this? And I can search our database and find the stuff because Google Google has a political ideology, a political well, a desired political outcome. I don't want to get into that at the moment. That's another discussion for another day. But if you go back in time and you're able to find these videos and these uh, interviews and articles and so forth. Trump was supposed to get smoked. In fact, Ann Coulter, this was what I was going to reference, Ann Coulter was on, I believe, Bill Maher. And she was asked who she thought would be the Republican nominee for president, and she said Donald Trump. And they laughed at her openly. I mean, <laughs> and she sat there. You could tell she was uncomfortable. I think she was a little bit embarrassed of the treatment. Um, but she said that. She turns out to be right. But at the time, at the time, it was a joke. It, Trump was a joke. Trump didn't have a chance. Hillary, this was a formality, blah, 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 right? So that's important to understand. The political um, conditions or the, what do you, I guess, conditions of the day were that Obama was still president in his last, the, the last year of his final term, his second term, and he was, you know, 
no one had any problems apparently with Obama, um, even though the economy sucked, even though they had weaponized the uh, IRS and other parts of the government to go after conservative groups. It was cool because he had a great jump shot. He was a liberal Democrat. And of course, they referenced his race and said, if you attack this guy, you're racist. Of course, this silences a lot of people, which is, of course, patently ridiculous and absurd. But that's another discussion for another day. So Obama, Obama in February, well, I believe it was February of 16, Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia unexpectedly passed away, well, at a, some, I think it was a hunting trip or something in, I want to say Texas, unexpectedly passed away. And Antonin Scalia is, was, in my estimation, an absolutely brilliant, absolutely magnificent Supreme Court justice, as is Clarence Thomas, and as I'm going to say, Samuel Alito. I'm going to hold my opinion on some of the newer ones, Amy Coney Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, although I'm more inclined to think Gorsuch might be next in line, but regardless... Um, uh, Antonin Scalia was an absolutely amazing Supreme Court justice. In fact, I remember, you know, that I listened to Rush and admire Rush Limbaugh very much. Rush Limbaugh said, if <laughs> in ways that only Rush could, he said, if I didn't have my brain, I wanted, I, I would have liked to have had the brain of Antonin Scalia. <laughs> Sorry, it even it just gets to me even as I as I share these things um, from my memory. And, of course, now both Rush and Antonin Scalia are passed. But when Scalia passed, the president of the United States, who at the time was President Barack Obama, he has the constitutional authority to make a nomination to fill a vacancy on the Supreme Court. There's a vacancy by the death or you know, because of the death of Antonin Scalia. And so Obama says, I'm going to make a nomination. Now, it's not... Again, we have a republic. We have separate but equal branches, a constitutional republic. You can say democratic republic. Constitutional republic, I think, is a little bit more accurate. But nonetheless, there's a a rule book, so to speak, called the Constitution. And it's separate powers. You know, they're separate branches, but they're... uh, Their powers are equal. There's certain categories or certain examples of times when... The legislature kind of has a checking power on the executive and times the courts have a check power on the le- on the legislative branch. And all these branches have kind of a check power, if you will. That's not the technical term, but just the ability to keep that branch in check is, is kind of how I'm explaining this. So the Senate has the power to provide advice and consent. This is in the U.S. Constitution. It's Article 2, Section 2, and it says this. It says he, referring to the president, the president shall have power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate to make treaties, provided two-thirds of the senators present concur. That's another story in and of itself when you think about uh, some things that uh, presidents have agreed to that didn't actually go through the treaty process. Of course, when they don't do that, they're actually easier to over. Uh, to to undo after the fact. But nonetheless, 
That's one of the roles of the advice or one of the advice and consent roles of the Senate. But the next part says he shall, referring to the president, nominate and by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors, other public ministers and councils, judges of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States. So it's with the advice and consent of the United States Senate. The Senate has a legitimate role to fill. Mitch McConnell at the time, and I'm going to take a break here. I'm going to get this set up. Mitch McConnell was the Senate Majority Leader back in 2016. And in absolute fairness, I'm not a big Mitch McConnell guy, but he he did he did I admire what he did here. He told Obama, President Obama, our advice, and I said this back in 2016. You can go back and check the tapes. Something very similar to this. Our advice is not to send us a nominee because we will not consent. And that's people think, oh my goodness, what is the world coming to? It's the end of life as we know it. But again, it was a great gamble on the part of McConnell because, because remember, Hillary Clinton was sitting there about to be coronated as America's first female president, although I don't know that we've ever gone through and actually asked previous presidents what their gender was, but that's another story again. But Hillary Clinton was going to be America's first female president waiting for her coronation, and instead of getting Merrick Garland, who they billed at the time as being very moderate, yes, yes, very moderate. Of course, now he's the attorney general. We can see just how moderate and fair-minded he is in this particular role. But anyway, that is the environment. Mitch McConnell stuck to his guns. Trump came out with the help of the Federalist Society and gave a list of nominees for the Supreme Court. On that list of nominees, you would find the names Brett Kavanaugh, Neil Gorsuch, Amy Coney Barrett. And he gave a list. And he said that if I'm elected, these will, you know, there's a lot of names. I'm going to nominate one of these people. And so they took the gamble conservatives that were not thrilled about Trump, but they saw the names and they saw Mike Pence and they were realized that, hey, this is better than a Hillary Clinton presidency. They pressed the button, checked the box, whatever, for Trump and not Hillary. Trump won the election, and then when Trump became president, he nominated Neil Gorsuch to the U.S. Senate, who was confirmed. So, they are still livid about this because that... That was a major that they saw that as a net pickup. And it's it's not accurate when they act like a Senate or a uh, Supreme Court st- seat was stolen. It was totally legitimate what they did. That was the advice of the Senate and they rolled the dice. It could have turned out worse. It could have could have turned out worse with someone besides Merrick Garland or Hillary could have nominated Merrick Garland as well. Anyway, going to pick this up. This All this stuff is tied together, my friends. All of this stuff is tied together, and it matters when we're talking about the issue of abortion. Quick timeout. We'll pick up the conversation when we return. Sit tight, my friends. By the way, attorneys have advised me. I need to let you know that listening to this program can cause you to lean to the right. So be careful if you're out there operating heavy machinery, driving a vehicle, or what have you. Folks have been known to veer to the right. Quick timeout. Back in just a minute.
friends. So, this is going to be a shorter segment because I was really long-winded in the first. I know how disappointing that can be. Hang in there. We still got a lot of program left today. So, um, let's pick up. So, the U.S. Senate, 2016 McConnell-led Senate Majority Leader said, we're not going to... We're not going to nominate, or not, we're not going to have hearings for Merrick Garland. Um, we're going to not do anything. We're going to take this to the people. We're going to vote on it. They're going to be able to vote. This is going to be part of their decision. And it was a, it was a strategic move that, arguably, my friends, ugh, I mean, outside of Putin hiring Facebook people to trick Hillary voters into voting for Trump. Wink, wink. That's the most ridiculous. By the way, when someone says something to you, which some someone said something to me that I might reference later, um, when someone says something to you that they don't want anything to do with people who think that Trump had the election stolen, <laughs> meanwhile we have a woman who still blames, still blames Putin, Facebook, Pokemon Go ads, and everything else for her losing to Donald J. Trump in 2016. That would be Hillary Clinton. They don't have any problem with that. That's totally cool, totally fine, because Republicans didn't do a sham. Uh, well, they didn't. They couldn't because Hillary was not president, but they didn't do a, um, a sham impeachment times two and all that. Don't want to get off the beaten path here with that. But what I do want to remind you is that the, the atmosphere, the political climate in 2016, McConnell says, nope, we're not having any hearings. If you want Hillary to be your president and pick your next Supreme Court justice, then I guess you can elect her. If you want Trump to be your nominee and to pick one of his conservative justices, then you probably should think about that vote. And people did. People did. And as a result, Gorsuch became became the nominee. And so the left is still infuriated about this. They think that the Senate acted outside of their authority in the U.S. Constitution. They did not. Now, it was a political move. It was a political move. Republicans put themselves in a position to where they could have faced political consequences. People could have said, you know what, they're playing games with this. You know what, we're going to stick it to the Republicans. But instead, they said, wow, we really dodged a bullet. A lot of voters said, we really dodged a bullet here because... Merrick Garland could have taken Antonin Antonin Scalia's seat, and that didn't happen. So Republicans held on to a uh, a, a seat on the Supreme Court because of this. Now, I want to say something else that I've referenced from time to time as well. I'm going to say this. I said this yesterday. I said this numerous times on this program. If someone is actually interested in doing the job of of Supreme Court justice, meaning interpreting the law and interpreting the Constitution as the people that wrote those words generally intended them to be understood and applied, then ideology would not make any difference whatsoever. A good judge, a good justice, interprets the the law that is there. That's why the Roe case is bad because Roe was not (laughs) – It wasn't anything. It was created by old white men to tell women what to do with their bodies. That's what Roe was. If you're mad that men are telling women what to do with their bodies, then be mad at the Roe case because that's exactly what that case was. 
They're the ones that set up trimesters. They're the ones that set up viability. There was no law about this. There was no democratic process about this. This was the rule of nine old white men in black robes, 1973. But that's celebrated. You have to ask yourself the question, why is that celebrated? And then, of course, why are people like Amy Coney Barrett apparently not female enough for the radical left? Clarence Thomas is not black enough for the radical left. You see how he's attacked even by Samuel Samuel Jackson or whatever, um, washed-up actor or whatever. But anyhow, I these things matter. And so I want to point out, because one of the most common questions I get asked, I've shared on this program a lot, is, Todd, what can I do to make a difference? And I think it's worth noting here, I think it's worth noting that if you voted in 2016 and you voted for Trump, and you're still allowed to admit that, <laughs> you're, you're not going to be put in front of the firing squad today, you're still allowed to admit it, you had a role in this. You, <laughs> This is... I know it's you know one of millions of votes and all this stuff. I get it. But it's the it's the totality of those votes and how those votes came out and how the electoral college turned out that made Trump president. Trump nominated Neil Gorsuch, who I think at this point in time looks to be rock solid in interpreting the constitution. And that by the way should really a lot of leftists are upset that they say these these conservatives lied before the Senate Judiciary Committee, when they said they said Roe was precedent, which it was, um, when they talked about Roe being established law, which it was, they interpret that to mean that they would never overturn it and all this sort of stuff. Um, they want some of these folks are actually calling for these justices to be held accountable for perjury. I mean, it's it's patently absurd, especially if you listen to what they said. It's lawyer speak for stating facts without making any. Uh, prediction as to what they're going to do in the future, which, by the way, they're not supposed to. If they've made a decision on a case before they hear it, they should recuse themselves. That's kind of the whole point. But again, doesn't matter for the leftists. The leftists want justices that are going to take liberal concepts, radical leftist concepts, put them into law so that they don't have to go onto the ballot. No one's held politically uh, accountable for them because typically... Typically, these are not popular beliefs. They want you to think they are, but they're never put. They're never put on the ballot. And when they are, as the case was with same-sex marriage, same-sex marriage got defeated virtually every time it was put on on the ballot, even in California. I think it won a couple times, but it lost like 30, 34 times, something. I don't know exactly, but it's a lot. It was in, I think it was in the 30s. But then suddenly the Supreme Court finds a rule, which now Clarence Thomas is out there, or excuse me, a constitutional right to same-sex marriage. Clarence Thomas is saying, hey, I think we should redecide all these cases that the Supreme Court uh, used bad, basically was stepping outside of the authority uh, of their constitutional authority to just decree these things. I think we should be good to reevaluate all of them. The leftists are out there, you know, steam is smoke, fire coming out of their ears and so forth. They're highly upset about this but when elect i mean when elections present your ideas and then pass them it should not go through the courts and anybody who cares about the system of government and how it's supposed to work should agree with that no matter what your opinion on a particular issue timeouts in order my friends
Plenty of more to get to on this issue when we get back. Sit tight. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So, Trump, of course, president, took office 2017 after the 2016 election, was there until uh, Biden rode in on his bike and tipped over January of 21. And Trump, did you like that, Oz? Oz chuckle. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. That got me thrown off my my uh, my cadence here. So, <laughs> so um, Biden, Oz, you got to cut it out. You're going to get me chuckling here. But so we had, in addition to, in addition to Gorsuch getting nominated for the seat vacated by the passing of Antonin Scalia. We also had uh, Anthony Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, who was, I mean, really uh, an unpredictable vote. I mean, he was on both sides. 538, Nate, uh, Nate Silver's group will tell you that Kennedy was more of a conservative or whatever. But the truth is he was nowhere near, nowhere near... Um, people like Thomas Scalia, Alito. Anyhow, um, so in addition to those two, we had in 2000 and when was um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away September of 2020, and then Trump nominates Amy Coney Barrett. Now, the left is upset at that, especially because now we've got a, a hardcore like leftist, a very a very progressive judge, a very a judge that's very much into being cool with what I would call judicial activism. I should say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she um, when I was at American University for that semester, she actually addressed our class. And very, very nice. I never had any. I mean, she was very graceful and uh, kind to the to the class. And it was great just to hear from any Supreme Court justice, right? I mean, these are very accomplished people. Um, and it was it was great to be able to have you know listen to her explain certain things, and you know to just to have that experience was was good. But she was she was a committed. I mean, very radical leftist. I mean, she she just that's what she was. Um, by the way, Scalia knew that too, but they got along really well. That's okay. It's one of the reasons we're. I, I kind of wish there's more stories like this. To be honest, I that's why we're conservative, not bitter. This isn't personal to me, but the bad ideas have to be stopped. That to me is absolutely obvious and true. But Ruth Bader Ginsburg, when they replaced. Her, when Trump had the opportunity to replace a third Supreme Court justice in four years with Amy Coney Barrett, um, who is very much the antithesis in a lot of ways of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I mean, this, especially in an election year, especially that close to election day, and the left will say, oh, well, now, now you're out here and have no problems getting a Supreme Court justice affirmed, or confirmed, I should say, 
in an election year, even on shorter notice, right? Now, you'll hear people out there, and I've heard them, they lie, they're either, they're either, they misunderstand or they're deceitful intentionally. Mitch McConnell never said they didn't have time. I've heard people say this. who didn't have time in 2016 to get the nomination of, uh, have the hearings for Merrick Garland. He never said that. He made it clear. We're not going to have any hearings, period. We're going to take this to the American people. If Trump wins, he can nominate a judge. If Hillary wins, then she can nominate a judge. So the Republicans were still in control of the Senate in 2020 prior to the election, which now, of course, Democrats have been in charge, which incidentally is why this country's gone to hell in a handbasket here the past 16 months or whatever it is. It seems like 16 years, but it's not 16 months. And so people think that this is hypocritical, double standard. But again, this time, Mitch McConnell, Senate Majority Leader, said we do give President Trump our advice here, just like we're supposed to constitutionally. Our advice is fill the seat because we need the types of justices that are on your list, President Trump. Those are the types of justices America needs because those are the justices that actually interpret the law. Those are the justices that actually try to apply the Constitution as written. These are not people who create rulings like what we had in Roe versus Wade. Not because, not even, we haven't, we've gone two days now, and I haven't criticized the issue of abortion. I'm going to because it's bad in a lot of ways, but I haven't done that yet. Haven't even gotten there in two days of going through this. So, but what did happen was the Senate said we like justices that actually do their job, stay in their lane. And that's what the court's done. By the way, it's worth pointing out that yesterday the Supreme Court also made a very important ruling about the religious liberty of public school employees by upholding the right um, of the football coach in Washington State to pray. (gasps) To pray. My goodness, to pray. It's almost as though people... I wonder how many people know that there's such a thing as the First Amendment. I really wonder sometimes. It explicitly says the state that, that, that those things should not be permitted. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And if you're telling a coach he can't pray at midfield, silently if you read the case, it's not like he's standing up. And I mean, I, I know there were speeches and different things. But people have the right to exercise their freedom of religion, even if they are employed um, by a public entity. You don't waive that right completely. That's just not the way that that was supposed to work. Our founders would be very perplexed that we're even having these discussions. Anyhow, Supreme Court's actually doing the sorts of things it always should have been doing. And the left is upset about it, very upset, because they've always viewed activists on the Supreme Court as kind of people who are willing to do the political dirty work. I I mean, they don't want to be held accountable for it. They can't get it passed. They can't get it on if there's referendums in their state. These things struggle. So just, hey, have someone declare, have, have a majority of leftist judges, judicial activists declare something constitutional, and then what are you going to do about it? And there's precedent, and no one's supposed to touch it. That's how this is well, that's how they want it to work. Unfortunately, and thankfully, when you have a court that actually cares about those things, as we now do in my estimation, can't get away with those things any longer. Timeouts in order, my friends. Sit tight. Back here in just a minute. <laughs> 
told me. Oz told me during the break. She almost had to go in the other room because she was um, getting tickled by my comment about Biden falling off his bike. She said that she was just listening and thought I was going to say Biden was riding in on his white horse, <laughs> which, of course, we know that's not the case. Said he rode in on his bicycle, tipped over, and the dumpster fire ensued. That's pretty much what we've got. So this is why, this is why, and, and we're out of time to get much more into this today. We'll continue this because I haven't even talked about the, you know, the arguments for or against abortion. Two days into this, and this is why, man, more people should know this stuff. We, we've done a terrible job. I, I'm of the opinion people don't even know what kind of government we, we have. People just, you know, people desire um, abortion rights. So they just say any, anybody who can grant us that, who's just going to stand up and say, hey, we have those, they're fine with. And they've said, they've said this. My contention is, is that really in America's best interest? I mean, this, this country works the way it does for a particular reason. And no one stopped anything. Now, states have laws, right? And some laws have, or some states, I should say, have laws that are triggered if Roe is ever overturned. And that is that is a reality um, that, that's going on. But folks can fight, and through the democratic process, through the actual republic that we have, they can try to um, sway the vote in their state in the direction they want it to go. So this this is, I mean, this is how this actually should work. But um, instead, we have pandemonium, we have misrepresentation. We're going to get through the misrepresentation. We're going to get through, get to all these things as the days unfold. There's, there's plenty to discuss with this issue. But I, as I mentioned, Biden falling over on his bike, this is the point I want to make, and I'm going to get to a break here. But the left... Would wants to this to have this debate, and in a sense, we have to have it now. We have to have this, you know, these debates about abortion because of where we are. But up until this ruling, and I welcome it. By the way, I don't want you to think I don't welcome those that debate. I think it's important and, and necessary. But up until that time, up until that time, the only thing they had to run on was the disastrous economy and reality that's been ushered in by the radical left, courtesy of the Democrat Party. I mean, so, in a sense, they're, I mean, they're upset at the direction things are going, but in another sense, they welcome any discussion that doesn't have to do with how terrible um, our day-to-day lives are, courtesy of the radical left. Quick time out, my friends. Back in just a minute. All right, my friends, all the time that I have for the day, plenty of more, plenty more of this topic uh, to discuss and it's relevant it's important uh, it's well there's a lot of facets to this we'll start getting into some of the arguments probably tomorrow some of the things I've heard some of the ways I think about it um, and maybe start going through that in the days to come but again look you don't have to I welcome, I truly welcome people who have different opinions on this. But I think it's important that we get to the heart of the matter, which we'll continue to do in the days to come. Gotta go, folks. SDG. See you tomorrow. Take care.